listening to Dear Reader, a book talk show featuring chatty librarians bringing you reading recommendations and a whole lot of book loving. I'm Justine Hanna, here with my fellow librarian and bibliophile Natalie Mason, and we're coming to you from Melbourne Library Service. Hi, Justine. Hi, Natalie. How are you? I'm really well. How are you? I'm great. It's been a while. It feels like it's been a while. It's always too long between episodes for me. so true. So true. (laughs) Sometimes I think we should record our phone conversations because they're kind of like episodes anyway. This is almost the exact same thing that I've been thinking. We're just on the same wavelength. It's a bit scary, really. Are we the same person? Let's never tell. We'll never tell. We'll never, never tell. Today on our podcast, we will be talking about books we have read recently. Yes, my favourite podcast, to be honest. I mean, I love having guests. They're always wonderful. But just talking to you about what I've read is so much fun. But guests are also the best. Guests are also the best. We love it all. Yes. Yes, we love everything. Before we get started, we want to remind you that we'd love to hear what you've been reading. So tweet us at Library with the hashtag Dear Reader, and you can download Dear Reader episodes at iTunes by searching for Melbourne Library Service and subscribing. All the books we mentioned today on the show will be listed in our show notes on our Goodreads page. You can find that on our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au on the Read page. Okay. First things first, Justine, why don't you tell me about a book maybe that you read recently? Oh, all right then. (laughs) Got one at the top of your mind you could just (laughs) chat to me about? Well, actually I do. I read Daughter of Smoke and Bone by Lainey Taylor and I loved it. No, no surprises there. I absolutely love the description on the back cover as well. It reads like a movie and I'm sure this is going to be picked up by someone if it hasn't already. So, Around the World... Black handprints are appearing on doorways, scorched there by winged strangers who have crept through a slit in the sky. In a dark and dusty shop, a demon's supply of human teeth grows dangerously low. And in the tangled lanes of Prague, a young art student is about to be caught up in a brutal, otherworldly war. (laughs) See what I mean? It reads like a movie. Um, I'm sure it is in my imagination. (laughs) It just became one. (laughs) It did, didn't it? Our main character is Carew, a young art student from Prague, who fills her sketchbooks with monsters that may or may not be real. She's prone to disappearing on mysterious errands. She's bright blue hair, which I love, an ear for languages and a haunted past she can't quite remember. She's really ballsy. She learns from her mistakes and she's loads of fun. When a mysterious stranger, the beautiful and haunted Akiva, fixes his fire-coloured eyes on Karoo in an alley in Marrakesh, the result is pretty messy. I loved this book. It's the first in a trilogy and I really didn't want to put it down. It sounds like your typical young adult story, star-crossed lovers, angels versus demons and all that, but it's so well written, it's rich in mythology, and it turns a few regular YA tropes on their heads and makes the reader think. One of the lines that stuck with me was this meditation on what it is to be a monster and what is a monster. And I'll quote, It is a condition of monsters that they do not perceive themselves as such. The dragon, you know, hunkered in the village devouring maidens, heard the townsfolk cry monster and looked behind him. Really love those sort of just sharp observations that 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 pull you up and make you think. Yeah, there is of course a love story, um, but it's not the insta love, you know, that instant falling in love of two main characters that it might seem at first glance. It was quite smartly done. Akiva is brooding, tormented, and tragic, along with beautiful and sexy, of course. Uh, he's also funny, smart, and honourable. He knows he needs to be honest with Karu about certain things, even though he knows that he will likely lose her over them. And I want to be friends with Karu. She's just fabulous. Growing up, overcoming hardships, recognising prejudices and discovering truth are all elements to this dark, central, unsettling and slightly twisted story. 
I loved it. I'm so glad I can read the sequel and the third in the trilogy, and I'm going to get my hands on them as soon as I can. So that was Daughter of Smoke and Bone by Lainey Taylor. It's the black handprints on the doorways that's kind of got me. It's it's really well done. I definitely recommend it. Yeah, okay. It's on what the are list. you reading? What have you read recently? Tell me, Natalie. I want to know. I fell into a Jeanette Winterson-shaped hole recently. And that's, a, that's a good shaped it hole. It was so, such a great shape. And I read three of her books in quick succession. You, shall I tell you about it? <laughs> Please do. Oh, all right then. <laughs> um, the book that I want to talk to you about mostly t- in this review is The Passion by Jeanette Winterson. Um, but I will give you a bit of context. Two years before writing The Passion, Jeanette wrote her very first novel. It was 1985 and the novel is called Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit. Uh, it's a semi-autobiographical novel and it's about a baby girl who was adopted at a young age who grew up in a very religious, um, evangelical, Pentecostal household um, and she began writing sermons as a young girl. By the time she turned 16, however, she has a bit more of an understanding of her own identity. She's rebelled against the conventional and religious values that she was raised under. She's identified herself as a lesbian and is ostracised from that community. Um, The book Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit is brilliant and incredible to think that it was a debut novel. Uh, Winterson uh, later revised the book Oranges and rewrote it to be a memoir and more of a factual account of her own life. Um, She's often referred to Oranges as the cover version of her life. So the memoir, when she, when you know, when she came to rewrite it, she reflected back on the moment when she had come out to her mother, and she was, you know, in this outrageous conversation that they were having. She asked her mother, "Why don't you want me to be happy?" And her mother responded, "Why be happy when you could be normal?" And that phrase mm. stuck with Jeanette so that she used that as the title of her memoir that came out in two thousand and eleven, and it is called "Why Be Happy When You Could Be Normal." Um, so that's the, you know, kind of bookending. Jeanette. I mean, Jeanette's still writing uh, novels at the moment, but uh, she started with Oranges and Not the Only Fruit. The next book that she wrote was ni- in 1987 and it's called The Passion and that's the one I want to talk to you about. It's set dur- during the Napoleonic Wars. The story intertwines the destinies of Henri, a French soldier who's so loyal to Napoleon that he follows him from glory to ruin, which is in quick succession, <laughs> and Villanelle, a gender-fluid Venetian boatman's daughter with webbed feet and a missing heart. The story is strange and utterly wonderful. It is told in segments and it swings between those two main characters. Um, The book muses heavily about the force of love being something that creates and also destroys us in equal measures. Um, I loved it so much, so much. Um, As with the other Winterson books that I've read, the passion is part dream and part fantasy and part history. Like you really feel like you're kind of brushing up on your historical stories, but it's also part imagination and you're never quite sure sometimes when she's swinging between the two. Um, I always feel really lost inside her books, but not in a way where I can't find my way out, more that I just don't know where the book is going. Um, But I'm always captivated and usually I'm quite surprised as I kind of read my way out of them. They're almost like labyrinths or spirals in some ways. Um, So the three books of Winterson's that I've read recently, the first one I read was Sexing the Cherry, which was released after The Passion. Um, Then I read Oranges and Not the Only Fruit, which was her first, and then I read The Passion last. I would recommend reading them in an entirely different order. (laughs) (laughs) Sexing the Cherry, the first one I read, has a very distinct writing style and I found it took me a while to get the hang of. I started writing notes in my notebook like, this is undoing my brain. (laughs) That was unexpected. (laughs) And I think if I had read Oranges or The Passion first, it probably would have helped me untangle Sexing the Cherry a bit quicker. Um, 
And then the other thing that I love about the passion so much is how life can sometimes be stranger than fiction, mm. how truth can be stranger than fiction. So it is said by multiple uh, news outlets who have interviewed Winterson that the passion was inspired by a love affair that she had in the 1980s with a woman called Pat Kavanagh who at the time was married to Julian Barnes, the wow. author. Yeah. So this affair between Winterson and Kavanagh was brief but it was passionate and romantic and Kavanagh left Barnes to live with Winterson and then when the affair ended, Kavanagh returned to her marriage and Winterson wrote this book, The Passion. So... As an aside, just to kind of tail end that story, Kavanagh was quite sadly diagnosed with a brain tumour in 2008 Um, and it was the author Ruth Rendell who notified Winterson about um, Kavanagh's unfortunate brain tumour. And Winterson and Kavanagh had one conversation on the phone where Winterson promised to come and visit Kavanagh. They had not seen each other, so the story goes, since they had parted ways in the 80s. And they never saw each other again because Kavanaugh passed away within a month of her diagnosis. Oh, my goodness. Doesn't that just break your heart? (laughs) Just these stories of old loves and passions and, you know, tragedy and illness and connections and the things that happen in life. And the fact that, you know, people like Julian Barnes and Jeanette Winterson can put pen to paper or fingers to keyboards and bring to life these real stories. And then I read them and I get lost in the (laughs) magicness of them magicness absolutely yeah that's what it is it's the magicness and i just i just marvel sometimes at how truth is so much stranger than fiction i love your passion natalie oh that was so well done i didn't even see it coming because i just reviewed a book called the passion by jeanette winterson sounds amazing actually i've never read it so i shall definitely be bumping that up my tbr pile do you remember when emily Bido was remiss because she was talking about an author that she had never read before and she felt like it was, it's a bad thing that i've never read this author before mm-hmm. i've often thought that about jeanette i mean so many authors but jeanette winterson is one that i've always known about but never quite delved into and then three books and now I'm a convert. Now I can't stop talking about her. <laughs> I noticed. <laughs> yeah, so much so that I'm Googling her life just to learn more about her. Anyway, it. I've stopped now. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> hey, Justine, change the subject for me. What have you been reading lately? <laughs> well, one of the books I just recently finished was Lab Girl by Hope Jaren. Um So Hope Jaren is an acclaimed scientist who has built three laboratories in which she studied trees, flowers, seeds and soil. This is her first book and it's told through her own personal stories about her childhood in rural Minnesota with an uncompromising mother and a scientist father who encouraged hours of play in his classroom's labs, about how she found a sanctuary in science and learned to perform lab work done with both the heart and the hands as her father taught her, and about the inevitable disappointments but also the triumphs and exhilarating discoveries of scientific work. So Lab Girl is a book about work, love, and the mountains that can be moved when those two things come together. The core of this book is the story of a relationship Jaren forged with a brilliant man named Bill, who becomes her lab partner and best friend. Their sometimes rogue adventures in science take them from the Midwest, across the US and back again, over the Atlantic to the North Pole, to Ireland and to tropical Hawaii, where she and her lab currently make their home. The author's passion for trees and her work shines through this book. She intersperses the chapters of her personal life with anecdotes about nature. Many of these tree chapters were great, but particularly towards 
towards the latter half of the book, I found myself wanting to get back to Jaren's story, which I just found so compelling. In the initial instances, I was really fascinated by these tree chapters and less so by her personal stories. And then as her life changed and things happened, um, it, it, she just became much more compelling for me. I have heard some people call this the H's for Hawk of 2016, and I have to say I disagree. Uh, whilst I did enjoy this book a lot, it wasn't as powerful for me as H's for Hawk was. That said, there is much to enjoy and a lot of really wonderful sentiments around being a female scientist and not really knowing how or where you fit in. There is also a compelling vulnerability and honesty here, um, as well as a ton of passion, which I love to read and I really appreciated that she put that out there. Definitely a great read, one I would recommend to anyone keen to learn more about trees, the academic world, uh, and with a large dose of family in all shapes and forms. So that was Lab Girl by Hope Jaren. Wow. It's a really interesting book. Give it a go. Is she young or old? or To reflect back on a life like that, I wonder at what point you'd need to be at. True. And, you know, I just sort of read it as though she was our age. Yeah. But she might be a bit older. Everyone's our age. Let's everyone's, go with that. everyone's our age. This is so true. Yeah. They, we're, mm-hmm. <laughs> so tell me, Natalie, apart from Jeanette Winterson, what else have you been reading? Well, I read a book that I love so much. I can't wait to tell you. I'm going to do it now. It's called Eligible by Curtis Sittenfeld. So Curtis is an American writer and she's written several novels um, that people love. They love her. Sisterland, American Wife and Prep. Eligible is her modern retelling of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. It was released earlier this year and is the fourth Austen book to be reworked by a contemporary author and it's part of The Austen Project, uh, which pairs six best best-selling contemporary authors with each of Jane Austen's six complete works. So, so far, not all six have been written. So, so far, Joanna Trollope has reimagined Sense and Sensibility. Val McDiarmid has written Northanger Abbey. Alexander McCall Smith has rewritten Emma. What an unimaginable <laughs> pairing that is. Um, and this book that I'm going to talk to you about now, Eligible, is Curtis Sittenfeld's Pride and Prejudice. So, there's two more to come. Um, so I want to tell you how much joy this book brought me. I wish I could draw you a diagram of joy because <laughs> you could it's beaming out of my face right now, but I wish I could show you through your ears. Um, I loved it and I adored it. Every single moment I spent with this book reading it was a real thrill. I wished it would never end and I want to read it again immediately. I want to shout it from the mountaintops and tell everyone on the planet Earth how much I love this book. Just the planet Earth? Just, well, one planet at a time. <laughs> I'm not familiar with the mountaintops of Mars. Are there mountains on Mars. I need to read a book about that and, f- and find out. Um, now, I don't consider myself a mad Jane Austen fan. I have read and enjoyed many of her books, but I don't own mugs or tote bags with quotes of, from her books on them. I do not have any Jane Austen themed tattoos, but I did take the quiz, which Austen heroine are you? And I'm very proud to be Elizabeth Bennett. Thank you very much. Um, and if anyone were to say the word Darcy in any context, I picture a dripping wet Colin Firth. I just, I can't <laughs> help it, but it's just, that's don't what, that's what that word evokes for me. Um, but the, the book, right? Okay, so here is, is how Curtis has brought the Bennett family into the modern world. And this is a modernisation, not just a retelling, but a modernisation. It's set in 2013 in Cincinnati. So Liz, Elizabeth Bennett, is a writer for a sassy women's magazine. She's in her late 30s. Aren't we all? Um, her older sister Jane is a yoga instructor, also in her late 30s. 
Just like us. Uh, And they live together in New York. When their father has a health scare, they return to their childhood home in Cincinnati to help the family. And they discover that while they've been away, the house that they grew up in is crumbling around the rest of the family and the rest of the family are paying zero attention to this fact. The youngest sisters, Kitty and Lydia, are crossfit and paleo-obsessed. Mary, the middle sister, is earning her third online degree and barely leaves her room. The mother has two things on her mind, her upcoming charity luncheon, soiree, and then how to marry off her five unwed daughters, especially as Jane's 40th birthday fast approaches. Enter Chip Bingley, the handsome doctor who's recently appeared on a reality TV dating show called Eligible, which is kind of like The Bachelor, and his friend, the neurosurgeon and very grumpy Fitzwilliam Darcy. And there you have it. That's pretty much the cast of main characters. Well, most of them. There are some others I haven't mentioned, but they're there. Um, And they're reimagined and they're living among us. There is texting, there's reality TV that everybody knows a lot about but nobody will admit to having watched any episodes of. There's hate sex, there's paleo information. There's lots and lots of running. These characters just put on lycra and runners and just (laughs) take to the streets of Cincinnati. I could barely keep up with them. They play charades, someone has anorexia, there's a spider infestation, someone's addicted to shopping from online catalogues, there's artificial insemination. Like, you name it, it has been modernised to the nth degree and then there's more that you haven't even thought about. I'll say say once and once only that it is not a perfect book and I can't elaborate too much on why without giving something away about the structure and the characters but I think that there are some things that are used for storyline only and not much else which is kind of problematic and a teensy bit disappointing but you would have to make up your own mind about that I'm not going to tell you how to feel what I will say is that the final chapter is worth reading the entire book for it is icing on the cake plus another cake plus another batch of icing it's the best (laughs) I give this book five stars and and those stars like shine super brightly and you can see them from anywhere on planet Earth. <laughs> Eligible by Curtis Sittenfeld. Okay, Justine, I'm ready. Yeah, because, you know, uh, it wasn't that good. I did not enjoy it. I, I know what you mean about the last chapter and I agree. It was actually very good and I'm glad I stuck, out, stuck it out. I, I read it because people were raving about it and I adore Jane Austen. No tattoos, but... I may have a tote bag. Uh, <laughs> Good for you. you. I absolutely love Pride and Prejudice as well. I love the book. I love all the adaptations. And, of course, BBC, love you guys. Love Colin Firth as Mr Darcy. You know, it, it just, yes, absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> and this I was really excited about. And, meh, you know, the best parts of it for me were when it was essentially pretty much just Jane Austen and word for word the original the updating and the modernizing it just didn't work for me it was over the top it was unrealistic I couldn't relate to most of the characters I didn't even like Elizabeth and oh my god I love Lizzie like what's going on there so yeah I won't terminate recording because you have another review to do (laughs) but I I couldn't agree with you less I love you and I couldn't possibly each to their own each to their own and I would love to hear from other people that have my point of view about eligible (laughs) I just wonder though maybe we read different books 
No, it's the same book. Are you sure? Sorry, Natalie, okay. it's the same book. All right. Yeah. Well, maybe part of the reason why I didn't quite connect to it is because I actually have been on a bit of a Austin deep dive in a in a way, and um, I also read Austin Land by Shannon Hale and Longbourn by Joe Baker recently. Why don't you tell us about these? Why don't I? Why don't I may you? just do that. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so I preferred both of these over Eligible. Neither of them are the same, though. They're not a modern retelling of Pride and Prejudice. Um, So Longbourn is actually telling you the story um, of the downstairs. So if uh, in this, I'll read a little bit. Um, Basically, the servants take centre stage. Sarah is the orphaned housemaid. She spends her days scrubbing the laundry, polishing the floors and emptying the chamber pots for the Bennett household. But there is just as much romance and heartbreak and intrigue downstairs at Longbourn as there is upstairs. And when a mysterious new footman arrives, the orderly realm of the servants' hall threatens to be completely, perhaps irrevocably, upended. I loved this story. I thought it was really well done. I thought it actually added to Pride and Prejudice. It didn't take anything away for me, unlike Eligible. And uh, I just really enjoyed reading about this other side. And I thought the ending of that was particularly well done as well. And also then Austin Land, um, which has also been made into a movie in 2013, which I haven't seen, uh, but I read the book. And uh, this is about Jane Hayes, a seemingly normal young New Yorker, but she has a secret. Her obsession with Mr. Darcy, as played by Colin Firth in the BBC adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, is ruining her love life. No real man can compare. But when a wealthy relative bequeaths her a trip to an English resort catering to Austin-crazed women, Jane's fantasies of meeting the perfect Regency-era gentleman suddenly become realer than she ever could have imagined. This book uh, really looks at our obsession with Mr. Darcy. Uh, It's all a game. Uh, Jane struggles to master Regency etiquette and flirts with gardeners and gentlemen, or maybe even with the actors who are playing them. It is all a game, and yet the longer she stays, the more her insecurities seem to fall away and the more she wonders, is she about to kick the Austin obsession for good or could all her dreams actually culminate in a Mr. Darcy of her own? I really thought that was a fabulous book and a really amazing an interesting way to look at Pride and Prejudice through that lens of what is real and what is not and how our uh, minor obsessions um, with images and and, uh, unreal humans such as Mr Darcy affect our real-life attempts at relationships. Mm -hmm. So I loved both of them. I thought they were both equally valid and really interesting takes and I preferred them. So that was Austin Land by Shannon Hale and Longbourn by Joe Baker. We will never speak of it again. (laughs) Natalie, what else? One more. One more, please, (laughs) for what you've been reading. Well, I have so much to say about this book, but I'll keep it short because I'll just gush about it and that probably (laughs) would be enough. Um, I recently read The Girls by Emma Klein. I read it in one day. I had a day to do nothing but read and it was a breeze from start to finish. It's a debut novel. It was released in June of this year. And boy, what a remarkable book. Um, Set in California and it's split between the present and 1969. It has one narrator, Evie Boyd. This book is inspired by the sort of Charles Manson uh, um, activities, I guess, of 1969 and those grisly murders that were sort of committed in his name by his followers. Um, And while there are grisly murders in this book, And while they are committed in the name of a leader of a cult, so it's very much based on that Manson story, this book is not a sort of slasher horror fiction and it is not a very thin retelling of factual historical content that you already know about. This book is a coming-of-age story. 
And what's so gripping about it for me was that the narrator, Evie, was a real person, but not a real person, not based on a factual person, but was created in fiction so realistic that I had to sometimes think about, was this a diary? Like, am I reading someone's kind of confession of that kind of adolescence? Her 14-year-old anxieties jumped off the page and just sort of came to life. It was so realistic. It was all about that young self that wants to be seen by other people, wants to be accepted by peers, but desperately doesn't want to appear needy. So we'll put that sort of mask of aloofness on while sitting in the park, pretending that they don't care who's looking at them, but desperately trying trying to attract the attention of people that they want to be friends with. The emotional somersaults that anyone who has been a teenager anywhere has experienced. Um, Emma Klein, the author, captured that adolescent struggle so faithfully and so clearly. The language is perfect. The dialogue is perfect. Um, The writing is almost confessional. And that desire to be wanted and to be needed but to appear to not need any of those things, it's all there and just it's so brilliant. I could tell you more about the characters, I could tell you more about the setting, I could tell you more about the plot, but I feel like that hardly any of that is as important as that sort of recognition that came while reading it and that connection to, you know, what it felt like to be someone that felt invisible and desperately didn't want to be. And I think, you know, the stories is not that uncommon for teenagers to try and find somewhere to belong, get involved in a world that's far more adult than they're ready for and be exposed to horrible, horrific acts of violence and be scarred by that and then have to sort of have to bounce back from, you know, the experiences that they've had as a young person. And this book just so carefully does that. It's have you read it yet? No, I'm so okay. excited for so it. So you're going to read I'm it. I'm really looking forward for to it. For sure. And you're going to like it. It's not eligible. <laughs> so you're going to like it. Yes, it's Natalie. It's nothing to do with Jane Austen. It's as far from Austen as you could get. It's called The Girls by Emma Klein. And I just couldn't recommend it highly enough. I'm looking forward to it myself. Wow. Ooh, ooh, I feel emotionally <laughs> drained right now. I've given all of myself. You have indeed. Yes. Well, do you want to tell us what you're going to read next then? Oh, yeah. I'm going to read Brooklyn by Colm Toybin. And I have been, this book has been recommended to me by three different people and ev- and everyone has said, you'll love it. You'll love it. You'll love it. And I'm looking forward to a, you know, kind of uh, less intense read um, based on a few things that I've read recently. So I'm looking for, you know, kind of lovely romance I hope you get it. And, uh, yeah, yeah, me too, me too. <laughs> I ho- I'm hoping for a lovely romance. What about you? Are you hoping for a lovely romance? Well, I'm going to be reading a book called Rich and Pretty by Ruman Alam. I think I'm saying that right. Sounds a bit romantic. I have no idea, but it sounds good. It's on my pile. I can't remember why, and I don't care. I'm going to read it. <laughs> it's on top, so it's, well, that's basically. you can't tempt fate. <laughs> Off you go. Well, that's our show. You can read our show notes, including a list of the books we discussed, on our Goodreads page, which you can find on our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au and on the Read page. And we want to know what you've been reading. What's been making you gush all over the place? Um, why don't you tweet us at melblibrary, that's M-E-L-B-L-I-B-R-A-R-Y, with the hashtag Dear Reader, or join the conversation on Goodreads. Don't forget you can download Dear Reader episodes and listen to them in your own sweet time on iTunes, by searching for Melbourne Library Service and subscribing. And if you like what you're hearing on Dear Reader, we'd love you to leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, It helps others find out about us and it gives us a warm, fuzzy glow. 
The groovy music on our program is by Ben Mason. Check out more of his music at www.benmason.com.au. And until next time, dear reader, thanks for listening.